Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we uh, we missed a week because of um, Shavuos, uh, and and as a result, there's uh, I think uh, a bunch to speak about, especially a couple of um, events happened that are sort of thematically linked, and so I, I want to go into those a little bit. Um, but I, I I also want to uh, begin <clears throat> by just before we get to sort of these sort of like news stories, um, just with a, just an overall thought about Shavuos. So, um, of course, that's the, the holiday of, of, of receiving the Torah, or the Torah being given, right? The, the, at Mount Sinai. The, bi- the big question is, God gave it, the, but did we receive it, right? That's, that's, that's always the big question. Uh, and and the, Reb Shlomo said this, this mushal, this is sort of like um, metaphor in, in another context, but um, I, I always think of it in terms of the giving and the receiving of the Torah. So it goes like this, which is that um, imagine imagine you give a, you give a wedding ring right to your to your wife in this example, and one one day you come home and you see that she's not wearing the wedding ring, and you say to her, you know, where, where, where's the wedding ring? And she says, oh, it's mine. It belongs to me, and I gave it to someone else. So on the uh, on the surface of it, there's, there's a certain logic to it. I guess you could say it does belong to her. It's her property. And I guess you could say she could do with it as she likes. But at the same time, you know that there's something very wrong with, with that. But, but what's wrong with that exactly? Right? What, what, what is wrong with that? So Reb Shlomo said something very, like for me, very brilliant that just opens your mind to a lot of reality, which is that while it's true you gave her the wedding ring, the giving of the wedding ring is a never-ending process. In other words, that, that wedding ring is, 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 is um, emblematic of this relationship which is ongoing. In fact, I'm sure that's a, a level to why it's a circle, right? Because it doesn't end. It just it keeps on going. Right? So, so while you could pinpoint the date where the transaction took place, nonetheless, the whole nature of that type of gift is something that is ongoing. It doesn't stop. And that's the case with the giving of the Torah. The giving of the Torah never stops. It says that the voice from Mount Sinai has never ceased. And that if we had the ears to hear it, we would hear that it's, it's never stopped. It's ongoing. God is creating and recreating the world every single moment with the Torah itself, with the letters of the Torah. That's why they, all the great rabbis and, and, and Kabbalists and Rebbe's all value um, what we call making chidushim in Torah so much. A chidush is when you are able to find a new insight in the, in, in, in the words of the Torah themselves. And that that unleashes a new power and a new energy of creativity into the world. So in this way, you're actually being a partner with God in terms of creating the world. Because the very material that's being used to create and recreate the world, you are also accessing in a brand new way and bringing new energy out of that as well. So this is why making Chidushim in Torah is so valued um, 
on a, on a spiritual level, why it's considered such an amazing thing. In fact, the Chai Adam, um, the Chai Adam is just historically a very interesting person. He lived at the time of the Vilna Gon. And um, people in Vilna who had Shilas, they had halacha questions. You would imagine, where would, if you were lived in Vilna during the lifetime of the Vilna Gon and you had a Torah question, who would you go to? The Vilna Gon, right? Wrong. The Vilna Gon was studying 24-7, right? He was just bringing down tremendous light. He, he wasn't going to look at your chicken to tell you whether it was kosher or not. I mean, I'm sure he would have wanted to, but there were other people who could do it. Right? It wasn't arrogance, God forbid. Just that his time was best used being the Vilna Gon, right? So who was looking at the chickens and things like this, right? Um, I'm saying that facetiously, but people were looking at chickens also. Um, who was poskining the Shilas? Who was making these, these uh, resolving these issues of Jewish law? The Chai Adam was the number one person in, in Vilna, okay? So the Chai Adam says that when you make a Chiddush in Torah, when you bring a new insight in Torah, an angel comes and puts a crown on your head. Right? So it's a very exalted thing to be able to access this Torah, the Torah in this way. And again, the Torah has never stopped being given. So this, this world itself is still, as we know, hasn't been finalized yet. It hasn't been finished, created yet. That's one of the amazing levels of why a Torah scroll, which is the blueprint of reality, doesn't have vowels. Because when you put vowels on those letters and those words, you fix, you fix them. Meaning they're set in stone, so to speak, at that point. As long as there's no vowelization in it, there is a openness to it still. So again, with that in mind, I'll tell you something very beautiful. The Ashkenazi way to say um, the blessing over wine or grape juice is you say, Okay, that's, and grammatically, that's actually accurate. But the Sephardim, and, and uh, Rabbi Simcha Weinberg pointed this out to me, and ever since I heard this, I, I do it the Sephardi way, right? Is, Now, Gefen is actually, grammatically speaking, um, the punctuation for the middle of the word. You don't use it for the end of the word. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? So there's a grammatic irregularity to saying Brei Prihegethen. Okay? And the reason is because they want to leave it open-ended. That you get to the end of the blessing, but it, there's no closure to it. It's open-ended so that the chef of the bracha, right, that positive energy can continue to flow out of it. Do you hear? So the, the, the balloon, so to speak, is not tied and knotted at the end of the blessing. It remains open so that the energy can continue to come into the world. So you say, Brei Prihagethen. So, um, anyway. So this is the power of Chiddush. This is the power of being partners with Hashem in terms of the creation and recreation on an ongoing level of the world with the energy that's, that's constantly being released. And again, we don't vowelize the Torah because that would, so to speak, knot it. It would put a knot at the end of it. But it's still this ongoing formation because we know that the world is not complete yet until Hashem brings Mashiach. Because God did not create this world with 
all the problems in it, this was not his intention, right? God envisioned a perfect world, and we're still in the process of getting to that place. That's why we're doing the Torah. That's why we're doing the mitzvah, right? Because these are all of the amazing things which are bringing the world to its to its perfected state. Okay, so now let's let's go a little bit further. Um, there are certain Torah portions that are kind of fixed in the calendar, meaning to say that they, they, they sync up and we're reading that Torah portion at that particular moment during the year. Okay, there aren't that many that fall into this category. Parshas V'yes Chanan, we're always reading after Tisha B'Av. That, that would be one example, okay? Um, Parshas Nitzavim, we're always reading before Rosh Hashanah. That's another example. Another example is what we just had this, this Shabbos, which is that we're reading Parshas Nasa after Shavuos. So, so after we receive the Torah, that's the Parsha that we're reading. So, so w- there are different striking things about that. One is that it's the longest Parsha of the entire Torah. So it's like, it's like, and on some level, it's almost like Kaviochel, humanly speaking, that that God like gave us His Torah, and He's like, He can't wait to like share it with us, right? Like, if someone has been on a long trip, you know, they just can't wait to sit you down and just tell you about the entire trip, right? So it's like it's uh, it's just there's a beautiful level, just that as soon as God gives us the Torah, we get the longest, longest parsha, right? So that's 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 one level, but. To go further, we know that we've been, since Pesach, we've been counting up to the receiving of the Torah. And we know that the receiving of the Torah is on the 50th day, right? And and so with that in mind, I want to say the following. This Parsha that we're receiving um, begins with the letter Nun. Right? And uh, Naso begins with a Nun. Nun in Gematria is the number 50. So here we receive the Torah on the 50th day. And the first Parsha that we get, it's like Hashem is handing us the Nun. Right? The Torah is given on the 50th day. And then Hashem is handing us the Torah. So, so how, do you, how do you understand this? So in, in, in Tehillim, the, very, the, the book of Psalms, the very, first, um, the very first Psalm in the book, um, Hashem refers to the Torah, or David Amalek, King David, refers to the Torah as Torah Hashem. Right? So that means that the, the Torah of God. So the Torah is called God's Torah. And then, right afterwards, it says, Uva Torah Sam, which means His Torah, our Torah. So the rabbis ask, well, wait a second, you just said that the Torah is God's Torah, and then two words later, you say that it's our Torah. So is it God's Torah or is it our Torah? 
So the, what the rabbis explain is that it begins as God's Torah, but then if you study it, then it becomes your Torah. So it's like, here is the 50th day that the Torah is given, and we don't even count the 50th day, because the Torah was given on the 50th day, you can't even put a number on it. The Torah is great, you can't put any boundaries on it whatsoever. You know, the Talmud says that people are not numbers. To be very careful, and we don't even count people, right? Because, you know, all the, if you study all the massive, you know, massacres and, 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 and tyrants in the world who have slaughtered people, they all at some point started treating people like numbers. Right? Or as, or as something other than human beings. Like Mao Zedong said regarding the revolution, the communist revolution in China, which killed millions and millions and millions of people. Right? I heard that he murdered more people than anyone ever, actually. You have to check that. But it's way up there. It's way up there if it's not, in fact, the case. So he says, you know, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. You hear that? You can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. This is what, how he values the life of millions of people? So, so the dehumanitizing is usually the first step before, before something way worse. And you all are familiar with many examples. I don't have to go into it further. But the point that I wanted to say is a little bit different. That, that, that here now we're going to talk about on the side of holiness, that there's something that's so awesome that you also can't put a number on it. Not because you're dehumanitizing it, but because you're putting some sort of boundary on it. You're making it into something tangible in a way that it's simply not tangible. And that's the 50th day when the Torah was given. That's why God commands us to count 49 days. But the 50th day, you would say, well, look, if I'm going to count it all, and the Torah is given on the 50th day, and the whole point is for me to count to the receiving of the Torah, the whole point is for me to count to 50. And yet we see, no, you count to 49, you can't count the 50th. Because that's the awesomeness of the Torah, which is without boundaries, and that belongs to God. Now, listen to the point again. So now, this thing, which is on the level of 50, which is beyond, 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 the first thing that happens is, in the Torah that we received, God gives us Parshas Naso, He's handing us the Nun. Right? Because the Nun of Naso is 50. All of a sudden, we have the 50. How do we get the 50? I just, you just told me we can't get the 50. Now we have the 50. Well, that's just it. First it's called Torah Hashem, but then it's called your Torah. If you work in the Torah, the Torah of God gets transferred over to you and it becomes yours. This is the amazing thing. So now, let's go a little bit further into it. You see, you could say, well, wait a second. Well, what do you mean by 50 exactly? Because 50, you should know, the 50th level itself was something that, you see, you have different paradigms in terms of describing the 
hierarchical aspects of the energy of Shemayim, of heaven. Um, one of the paradigms is the 50 gates. So the top of heaven, the 50th gate, would be called the Shar Chamishim. That's the 50th gate. That's the top. Okay? So that's really the most exalted place. Okay? That level of understanding, we say only like, like, like Moshe Rabbeinu got it at the very end of his life. The very end of his life. Like it's, it's, um, it's very, it, it, it's very beyond. It's very beyond. It's not really for us. So then, how can you say we got, God is handing us the nun if fifty is really, that's not really, our territory, you know? So how do, but you're saying we got the nun. So how do we have the fifty exactly? So now listen to this. Um. Rabbi Tzvi Freeman said something, an explanation that, that, that I want to use to try to uh, resolve this. So, so famously, the first commandment of the Torah, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, right? I am God, your God, who took you out of Egypt. So as, as Rabbi Steinsolt said, For thousands of years, people were talking to God. What's the greatness of the Mount Sinai experience? God spoke back. God spoke back. That's, that's big. That's very big. To millions of people. Right? Again, that's what distinguishes Judaism and how we know that Judaism is the truth. Because the other religions have one prophet and who says, trust me. Right? God, here we see when God wants to reveal something, he speaks to everyone so that everybody knows. And remember what happened at Mount Sinai. We all heard the first two commandments. And then what God allowed us to do was, God allowed us to hear everything that he said to Moshe. So we were all, even though we were not as a nation on top of Mount Sinai, all of us had the prophetic ability to hear everything that God was saying to Moshe. So that, that's, that's, that's an amazing thing. So we heard directly, but then we also heard everything that God said to Moshe. And then it says, and then God says, and then you're going to believe in Moshe for all time, as we do. As we do. Okay. So now... Let's understand further. So this idea of God introducing himself as the one who took us out of Egypt, why? If God is going to introduce himself to the entire world, it's obvious, it's obvious what he should say. I'm God who created the entire universe. And you know, someone said to me in in Shul at the Kiddush yesterday, Shaul, it was a a beautiful thing. He said to me, you know, you can't, really comprehend all of creation, the whole universe. It's just an abstraction. It's just an idea. He said, it's much harder to understand that God is with you in your moments of slavery and that God is taking you personally out of every trouble that you're in or is with you in every moment of pain that you're in. That's much harder to understand. And I thought, wow, that's, yeah, that's really well put, you know? I think just... Just to tell you, one of, one of the, my goals in, in my own life, and, and in, certainly in these talks, 
is, is, is to try to communicate to you that, that, as best as I can, that God is not an idea. God is the reality that we're in. God is the reality that we live, literally live in. And we're constantly, with every thought, with every action, with every bumping into everyone in the street, with everything in our life, it's an ongoing conversation with God. Our whole lives are ongoing conversations with God. We never stop interfacing with God, interacting with God. We never stop. It never stops. And, and the enemy of this thought is the idea that God is an idea. Right? Because when we, and, and this is unfortunately where most of the world, even people who are very sincere, even people who are quote-unquote religious, whatever that means, God is an idea, and it's an exalted idea, it's an important idea, it's an idea they'd even give their life to, but it's an idea. They don't live in the reality of the constant immersive aspect of it, which is what is really the, the bottom line, you know? I'm not saying it from a judgmental standpoint, God forbid. I'm just trying to draw a distinction, right? So that's this idea that that not just God is the God who created the entire world, because what do I know from the creation of the entire world, right? We can study different thoughts about it, but what do we know? We don't. We, we can't know anything about that. It's an idea. And then if you say, well, that's who God is, then then God is also an idea. But if you tell me that you're the one who's with me when I was in the hospital, okay, now that's something else entirely. That's a, that's a completely different thought. So, so, but Rabbi Freeman said something else. Again, to explain the nun. How did we get the nun? How, do we, how did we get this nun, which is the 50, right? He says, what does it mean that God, God is introducing himself as, I'm the God who took you out of Egypt? God is telling you that, that the Torah itself is going to allow you to transcend nature. You see, I'm using my words now. This, the, the concept of nature is, is, is also very enveloping. And it has very, you know, a real structure. You know, I was just thinking the word spring. Like spring, like a spring is something like if you like go to a, a body of water, a spring is something that comes out of the ground, right? It just jumps out of the ground. We know that spring happens after winter, right? So what is spring? Spring is a life that's springing out, right? It's this life energy that's got, like, we think, like, you look at the ground, the ground's not wet, but, oh, look, there comes a spring, <laughs> right? Look, I'm surrounded by dead trees, it's winter. All of a sudden, life springs out. <laughs> so, but there's a real definite structure to nature, and one can even feel in, in, imprisoned by nature. Or think that there's no way out of nature, that the natural order is the single most dominant force in the entire world. And in fact, the Torah, which is the blueprint of reality, begins with the letter Bays. Bays is the number two, right? It's the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it stands for many things, but one of the things it stands for is heaven and earth. It's an aspect of the nature of the world, male and female. 
That's an aspect to the nature of the world, right? Good and evil, an aspect to the nature of the world, right? So, so everyone has this question, and I want to say something, my thought, but I want to say it. Well, why are you starting the Torah with the second letter of the Aleph base, right? So I want to say that, no, the, the Torah really does begin with the letter Aleph, but it's, 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 it's a white fire Aleph. You see, we know that the Torah is black fire on white fire. So what does that mean, black fire on white fire? So the black is that, that which you can see. These are the revealed aspects of reality. The white fire are the spiritual realms that exist, but you can't see it with your eye. So when you look at a Torah scroll, God forbid you should think that it's just the only relevant aspect of the Torah scroll is the, is the black ink. No, the, the, the white aspect of the Torah scroll is very, very important and very, very crucial. And in fact, the halacha is, is that every single letter has to be surrounded by white. And that if two letters are touching, then the Torah scroll is not kosher. So, so why? Because on a crucial level, because it's missing some of the white fire. <laughs> right? Because where the two letters are touching, that's a space where you need white. You need white fire there. And every single Jew is compared to a letter of the Torah. So that means each one of us is also surrounded by white fire. Again, the closeness of God. How close God is to every single one of us, right? So, so if you look at the base of Rashi's, yeah, that's, that's a black fire base. But right before that, you have a white fire olive. Because <laughs> God is right there. Because God is right there. God, God is right there. Of course God is there. Of course God is the beginning of all beginnings. Right? But is it completely revealed? It's not completely revealed. He's everywhere at once. But that's the amazing thing about God. He can be everywhere and in everything, and then he still remains beyond. It's incredible. Remember, this is the whole level of Avinu Malkena, right? Avinu Malkena, we say our father, our king. Our father means he's so close, right? Our king means, oh, he's way beyond. He's up in the palace. Both at the same time. Both at the same time, right? They also use the language, like, in academics, Imminence and transcendence. That's like a fancy way of saying this, right? God is very imminent, but simultaneously he's transcendent. Um, okay, so the Torah starts with a black fire, with a white fire aleph. And I heard in the name of the Ari a support for this, that if the Torah begins with the letter Bez, since Obviously, it should start with an olive. If it's starting with a base, that's already hinting at an olive. And of course, we know olive is one, and God is one. So it's already the Torah is already hinting at the presence of God. So I'm saying it a slightly different way, but there, that's in the language of the Ari. So the question is, when does the white fire olive become a black fire olive? 
So by the giving of the Torah, because the giving of the Torah, the Ten Commandments, begins with the letter Aleph, but now it's already a black fire Aleph. Now already God is revealing his will, this aspect of himself, right? His will. That's becoming revealed, okay? But you see that this will, this Torah, is completely transcendent. And so this black fire Aleph, this Torah that we have, gives us wings to fly over the bays of Breshis. <laughs> see, because the Aleph trumps the bait. <laughs> the Aleph leapfrogs over the bays. The Torah gives us wings to fly over obstacles in the natural order of this world because the Torah is the letter Nun, the Torah is the 50th gate, the Torah is completely beyond this world and gives us the ability to transcend every aspect of this world. How is it possible that there's still a Jewish people in the world? That's nuts. That's nuts. Study ancient history. Where are all those peoples that you're reading about? It's really weird that they're all gone, but there's one that isn't gone. And that's us, and we're still here. And we're not some, we're not living in the wilds of like the Sahara, right? With like grass skirts and like, you know, you know, making everything out of coconuts. That people, which is still a small people, is making every revolution in science and technology. And people think that there's so many Jews in the world because they're, they're at the top of every industry. Right? And people think that Israel, if you talk to people, they ask them, walk up in the street and, and ask just the average person on the street, how big is Israel? Oh, they'll tell you it's a very large country. It's the size of Rhode Island, for goodness sakes. It's a tiny people in a tiny scrap of land and the world can't get past it. The world is like, what, you know? Stop it! <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing? Like, like, we invented air conditioning. You're not sweating right now because of us. Give us a break. Like, really, you know? I mean, you want more cures to diseases? Leave us alone. We're working on it. <laughs> right? You want your phone to run even faster? Just, you stay over there, put your gun down. Let us concentrate. <laughs> right? So, this is, this is the Torah. This is, this is the letter Nun. So now you see that, that we do have the letter Nun. That, that, that the Torah which is given on the 50th day, which we don't even count because it's beyond, God, God gives us immediately after we receive the Torah, which again is like that wedding ring, which never stops being given. We immediately get Parshas Naso, which begins with the letter Nun, which is the number 50, because the Torah itself gives us the ability to transcend all of nature and everything, and to remain alive as a people miraculously, miraculously. So I mentioned um, I mentioned a couple of uh, that that uh, just that there's been some news and things like that and 
And I want to um, just tell you one story just in case you missed it, um, which is, unfortunately, Hashem should heal all the, all the sick and, and, and anyone who is hurt in, in, the, in the incident and console the families that are mourning. Um, but there was a, a shooting in, a terrorist shooting in, 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 in Tel Aviv. And um, there were two, uh, two um, terrorists who, who disguised themselves as, uh, as Jews. And, um, and, um, and, and did this crime. And there was uh, melee, right? Mayhem. Afterwards, people were running around and everything like this. And there was a, a, a man who was, you know, in the, in the area where it was happening. He was an off-duty police officer. And he was with his, um, with a family member. And he started running to get them to uh, their apartment because he lived close by. And so they're running and everyone's running. And he gets his uh, family member to their apartment. And... Uh, a man comes up and says, you know, can I have a drink of water? And he goes, okay, yes, of course. And then he goes and he puts them in the apartment with the rest of their family. And then, again, he was an off-duty police officer. He now runs back to the scene to see how he can help. And he runs back to the scene. And um, and the, uh, the person has been killed. There are two people, two assailants. One of them has been killed. So he goes, okay. And then he gets it into his head. He says, can I see the person, right, the, the, the terrorist? And so they show him, and he goes, oh, my God. And he is dressed exactly the same, with the exact tie, exactly the same as the person who he's just put with his family in his apartment. And he runs back with, with some of the uh, officers to his apartment, and he's sitting there, this guy, who was one of the shooters, is sitting in his apartment with the family talking. And they were able to apprehend him. So, what a story. What a story that this guy, you know, he thought he was being very smart. You know, let me hide right next to the shooter in an apartment. Right, so that's they're not going to look right next door. He thought he was being very smart, right? And look at the miracle God did. Who did he run up to? He runs up to a police officer, and how that the police officer would say, "Let me see the dead body." Why? Why would he ask to see the dead body, right? And then that he should make the connection, and that he should have noticed the similarity amidst all the sensory bombardment of the moment. I mean, you see that there are miracles going on here, that there are miracles. So then you say, okay, so there, there are miracles, but then look, all these people died. Right? Because people were shot and killed at the, at, at, at the, at the cafe. So this is really one of the hardest parts of life. This is one of the hardest parts of life. That, that, that you see that clearly Hashem was 
was was there and he was doing miracles and he was saving people but at the same time this was going on so how do you wrap your mind around it I don't know I don't know I don't know I don't know there's there's a, a divine purpose beyond my understanding and and somehow it was being enacted and I don't know I don't know and I don't pretend to know but what 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 is fascinating is that at the same time this was going on an act of amazing love and miraculousness was also being revealed the same time so so just using that as just a jumping off point for a moment okay and again i'm not trying to explain that event because i don't have an explanation for that event but in all of our lives we experience sometimes sometimes some pain and sometimes some hardship but if we actually open up our eyes we can see that there're blessings also coming down so it's not this is even though this is a very extreme example what i'm giving right now there are versions of it which are fairly common to all of our lives and 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 i noticed something um one of the things that we say in the shmona esrei and like you know which is the core prayer that we say three times a day is is modim modim anachnulach we 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 thank god and and I was looking at it the other day and it says and by the way I really encourage everyone if you're I encourage everyone to do the Shmona Esrei especially in Hebrew and if you do it in Hebrew then I really encourage you to do it in English <laughs> because or at least sections of it because I know speaking for myself you know when I finally was able to say it in Hebrew I really lost touch with a lot of what the what I was saying. You know? So I'm trying to make an effort to go back in and to reclaim a lot of the prayers and and to review them again in English. So I was looking at Modim, right? And I noticed that it said that we're thanking God for like at every season, right? So it was that's interesting. Okay, so you know, it's not just like, oh, I had a good year, I had a bad year. Oh, okay. Well, every season. Now all of a sudden my mind is getting a little bit more exact. There was I had a winter, I had a spring, I had a summer. Like and and God was giving his goodness, me his goodness during these sections of the year. Like I can be a little bit more focused and appreciative. And then it says evening, morning and afternoon. And now all of a sudden it's like now I'm being even clearer. Like you could say I had a I had a horrible day. Yeah, really I'm so sorry I had a horrible day. I really did. How was your morning? I oh, actually had a great morning. <laughs> Yeah, I I I went out for some breakfast with friends. It was really good. What about your afternoon? My afternoon was really good. I actually got a lot of work done. You know, I stayed in the office and I was able to get a lot of stuff, you know, out of my inbox and things like that. And my evening, my evening was a disaster. But you had a good morning and a good afternoon. Yeah. So so just the fact that we thank God evenings mornings afternoons already i'm i'm realizing that god's goodness is actually like you can be a little bit more exact and you can break it down a little bit more and you can realize all the good that's actually going on even 
if, God forbid, we're also sometimes experiencing hardship as well. So we can sort of like break down the day, break down the year, and be a little bit more focused when, when the good comes. It's almost like we're making vessels to, 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 to hold the, the various blessings. And we're sort of distilling our lives a little bit so that we can receive more and be more grateful. When the spies, the Meraglim, got to the border of Israel, right, and they're looking, they're looking at Israel. So, in Reb Shlomo's words, he said that they looked into the heavenly bank accounts of the Jewish people to see how much merit we had, and they saw that we didn't have enough merit to get into the land of Israel. And now, in my opinion, this is a, a life-changing Torah, right, like a cash Torah. Then Reb Shlomo said, but what they didn't realize was that God wanted to give it to us as a gift. You see, there is a concept of merit, but there's also a concept of receiving something as a gift. And we know that in Shemayim, in heaven, there's a treasury of free gifts that Hashem gives out. And actually, there's a level where tzaddikim, people who are holy, and we learn this from Moshe Rabbeinu, that they don't appeal to God based on their merit at all. That they just ask, in Hebrew we call it a, a, a matnar chinam, right? A, a, a free gift. And it's actually a very beautiful way to pray because it's a way of making yourself very humble because you say, look, I'm working so hard. I'm trying so hard. I'm doing so much. But God, I don't even pretend that it's anything. Because I know you run the world and you are the one who's giving me the ability to do, do all this anyway. All these mitzvahs that I'm doing, as much as I'm doing them, I'm only having the privilege of doing them because you're letting me do them. So what do I have, really? I don't have anything. So God, I'm asking you, please give it to me because I have this need, but please give it to me as a gift. So there are things that are beyond, 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 that it's true we can't merit them, but, but that doesn't mean we can't receive them. I'm going to say that again. There are certain things which are so great, like Mashiach, right? And it's true. We can't merit it. It's true. But we can receive it as a gift. And God wants to give it to us. God wants to give it to us. You know, I had a question and I was able to find the answer. It's in Pirkei de Rav Eliezer, Okay which is that we know there was a shofar blown at Mount Sinai, and we know that there's going to be a shofar blown when Mashiach comes. As we say, Tikka B'Shofar Gadol, that's part of the Shemona Esrei. Okay, God, we pray God should blow the great shofar blast. What is that? That's at the time of the Mashiach. So the Pirkei de Rav Eliezer says that when Avraham Avinu put Yitzchak on the altar, of course he didn't sacrifice Yitzchak, right? There was a ram caught in the thickets, and so Hashem revealed that to them, and they say that this animal was created actually on the sixth day of creation. All right, all this is very deep, but anyway, the point is, is that the one of those ram's horns was used at at uh, Mount Sinai, and the other one will be used at the time of Mashiach. So I had a question: which one is? Which side was blown at which? 
Because I want you to know, at the time of the coming of Mashiach, is it going to be the left horn or the right horn? And my question was, left we know is the side of Din, and right is the side of Rachamim, of mercy. When Mashiach comes, is that going to come like this cutting off time? Like from a standpoint of Din? Or is it going to come from a place of mercy? Because you could learn it out either way. Either way, you know, just tell me what the source is. And then that's what it is. So, so it says, the Pirkei de Rav Eliezer says, the left horn was blown by Yitzchak. And Yitzchak, remember, is, is, is the side of, of Gvor, of Din. So it makes sense. But even, even better, God willing, is the fact that the horn of Mashiach is from the right side. It's the side of, from the side of Rachmin, from mercy, which in my mind correlates with this idea of a gift. Because we can't ever earn it. It's too great. It's like this level of 50. It's too great. But, but God can give it to us as a gift. So that's true in all of our lives. So Hashem should bless us, that we should understand that that, that the Torah never stops being given, that when you make chedushim in Torah, right, when you say new ideas in Torah, that you're actually opening up this energy of creation which is ongoing. And as the Chai Adam says, right, that an angel puts a crown on your head, that the Torah is invalidized, it's not fixed because it's still alive. It's still alive, Right? If you want, you can say right? If you're Ashkenazi, if you're Sephardi, you're already saying it. But if you're Ashkenazi, you can switch from Hagafen to Hagafen and keep the pipes open at the end, right? The bracha should continue to flow. And that we have, we have, God gives us the nun. As soon as, as we can't even count the 50th, and then God gives us the nun. That God gives us that black fire olive, Right? to leapfrog over the black fire bays, that God gives us the Torah, which gives us wings to fly past any obstacle. And the greatest, the greatest evidence of this is that we continue to exist and to know that God is not just the one who created the world. God is the one who's with us always, right? Just like we're letters of the Torah and we have white fire surrounding us at all time because God is all, is so close, is so close. And to remember that, you know, even if you had a bad day, maybe there was one hour in the day, or two hours, or 12 hours, which were good too, <laughs> right? And then we have to really become like, you know, just like a jeweler, like is able to look at a jewel and appraise it. We should be able to have the eye of a jeweler to appreciate all the good points in a day and the good points in each other, right? Okay. <laughs>